1: Today, I am joined by a lady that uh, I think it's fair to say from where I am in Spain, she lives a few miles away. Let's just leave it at that. In fact, to be more precise, she's in Australia. Lisa Jane, a very warm welcome.
0: Thanks, Paul. Really glad to be here.
1: So in fact uh, you know I don't know what um, what the mileage is between Spain and Australia but uh, just like say it's not a 5 minute uh, it's not a 5 minute trip listeners but anyway that's irrelevant that's irrelevant so Lisa what we're going to talk about I mean I just want to set the scene really we've had a great chat listeners off air Lisa and I an introductory chat there's a lot of undoubtedly a lot of content a lot of energy a lot of insights to be shared I want to enter in just by, on a foundation level, Lisa, if I may, by mentioning your book, The Emotionally Powerful Mother. Maybe a good starting point is any. Just give us an insight, a little bit of a share around that, if you will.
0: Mm. Thanks, Paul. So I've written this book, um, just recently released it, for mums to actually help them step deeper into their power around their tween and teen daughters. So after working with women for quite... A lot of years i noticed that in the realm of relationships women can be incredibly empowered in so many areas of their lives and then we go back to our relationships and we filter our truth we step away from ourselves and i felt really really powerfully that this starts in our girlhood it starts from what we're taught and how we're trained and that there's very little emotion education For really for anybody, but for me my interest lies in girls because I have a couple of daughters of my own, how to teach girls to to actually meet their own emotional needs so that when they're in relationship they can have these really healthy relationships rather than relationships where they have to sacrifice parts of themselves in order to feel loved or secure. So the whole book helps mums step back into their personal power more deeply so that they can help their daughters reclaim their personal power in this modern day age of technology and in doing so it also creates this incredibly deep connection which I actually think is a mum's emotional advantage and let's face it Paul we really need one in this day and age where we're bringing up teenage girls
1: mm. yeah I want to kind of come from a different uh, well, slightly different perspective on that Lisa I mean obviously you're focused in on uh, the girls um Do you feel that the dynamic is different if the genders change to boys?
0: No, I don't. I actually think that anybody can use this information to feel more empowered in their relationships. And, in fact, I've used it with couples, I've used it with men, I've used it with boys. I don't think the dynamic changes. I think there are certain events or situations that are slightly different with girls. And I guess the reason that I've chosen this niche is because I am a mum and I do actually have boys, so I could quite easily have done it for boys. But my boys are 29 now and I still have a 15-year-old daughter. So I'm very current in this world and I see the impact of social media on her. And I speak to a lot of other mums uh, who tell me how powerless they feel, which is why I've I have written this book. But like, I do hope to write many more books and include many other people, including boys.
1: Because mm. there's a lot of um, I'm looking for the right word, listeners. Hype uh, misinformation is probably the better better way of describing it. Around oh, yeah, girls mature so much quicker than boys you know, these massive stereotypes and generalisations. And, and so whenever I hear, uh you know, a thread of a topic around, you know, development of, of young people, irrespective of the gender, it, it just raises that, you know, let's try and dispel all that. You know, I don't know what the stats are around that that statement, but I think statements like that could become quite dangerous where just to put out there, girls mature quicker than boys, well, has anybody actually done a survey to ask how that leaves boys feeling then? Because maybe, just mm. maybe, that's planting in a seed of insecurity in terms of they're inferior to girls. Just, you know, just a thought on that. I mean, uh, you know, like you've said, Lisa, you know, you're the mother of, of, of both, but, you know, boys and girls. Would you agree with that statement? Is there any merit in it? Or, you know, what's your thoughts around that?
0: Um, look definitely boys are different to girls Um, I've experienced in my life anyway with regards to things like communication styles and you know and maybe that's a cultural thing I'm not sure but I have noticed a big difference but one thing that I've also observed is that the cohesion the heart cohesion between a child and its mother whether or not it's a boy or a girl is incredibly powerful. And, you know, I've experienced this just, just recently with my 20 year old, 29 year old son who's just had his first baby. And the baby got very sick and was in a hospital. And I turned up for my older son. And he said to me, Mum, I just didn't realize how much I really needed to see you. Something just happened when you were here. Like there's like this feeling of, oh, it's all going to be okay. And it's really interesting because what I, I think mums, some mums forget, is that we have this, um, and and I'm sure dads do too, but there's something in this, the mum's ability to emotionally regulate a child because we are the, we hold them in utero, we hold them safely when they're born, we breastfeed them. And, you know, I really think there's some special power in that cohesion that can be tapped into as the child merges through life because it's in their physiological Um, It's in their neurological pathways. It's part of who they are. And I think probably for mums and dads, we have this unseen capacity to influence our child on a heart level, which I think if we can get out of the way of some of the dynamics that may have been created, we can activate that. And that's very, very powerful. And so saying that, I... I fully believe that the time is now on this planet to cease the division between our sexes because there isn't a better or a worse Then, But right now I think it's time for us to appreciate our differences and continually create more of a harmonious, unified relationship with anybody, regardless of what sex they are. Did that answer your question?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
0: covered a bit of ground there. Sorry, Paul.
1: No, no, that's brilliant because I totally, totally agree with that, Lisa, that this, these labels that we give, these generalisations, you know, and I've used just one, you know, deliberately used one, maybe even semi-controversial statement there around, you know, I'm not going to keep repeating it because I don't want to give it too much energy, but that whole kind of division that duality so i totally totally get what you're saying that look you know let's not worry too much about the labels whether it's x or y boy girl rich poor gay straight it doesn't matter black white they're just labels because ultimately you know what i what i really love about and, and felt that energy there lisa is that connection between mother and child that natural more than natural That is the way it was was ever Mm thus. It was
0: ever thus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're using that word natural. um, You know, I talk about this quite often because what is normal, I believe, at the moment is not natural. What we consider normal in the way we relate to each other and even sometimes in the way we parent, it's normal, and yet it's so far away from natural. It doesn't often create the harmony and the unity and the connection that a natural relationship can. So when we're in this cohesion, we're consistently understanding each other at a deeper level and building this beautiful sense of deep love and connection. What's often normal, though, in our society is the way we deal with events and situations. Our reactions often create the division and we move further away from each other and become more disconnected. So while that's more normal, it's certainly not natural because natural does have that ease. It has an an ease and it has something that comes from within us. It's not something that we've got to try and figure out or, um, you know, fix or solve. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that kind of externally driven, I'm going to use that dirty four-letter F word, fear. Mm -hmm. you know that manipulates us it controls us you know we have to survive we have to win at all costs and all that kind of stuff we become part of and i you know i think we then reach a stage in life or maybe we don't i don't know there's me generalizing now just shows listeners doesn't it how quickly and how easily it is to slip into stereotypes to slip into generalizations i've just done it there You know, where I'm assuming, oh, don't ever assume. Because there's one thing with nature. She's got a way of carrying on, but she's the boss and she'll let you know what's happening. But isn't it truly so that we, in our infinite man, in in their infinite wisdom uh, of that, that vulnerability, that insecurity, that fragile nature of what we are, we don't accept that. We have to control it. We have to wear that mask, don't we? Win at all costs. I'm not going to show weakness. I'm not going to be vulnerable. But actually what we're talking about here is being that open-hearted being and showing that compassion and showing that vulnerability because that's who we naturally are. And why don't we celebrate that rather than seeing it as weakness and fallibility? Mm. Oh,
0: I'd love to talk about that. Can I actually um, come back to the, the one thing which we've discussed because I think that leads beautifully into the one thing. Why don't we show that vulnerability? Why don't we live in a way that we're connected with our, all of ourselves? Why is it that more normally we jump into our heads and are manipulated by fear or or run by these feelings of having to control because we feel powerless. And I'd really like to suggest that part of the way that we're raised in our cultures is to, when we have a feeling that feels uncomfortable, we take it straight into our head to try and fix it. We will analyse it, try to work it out, try to solve it, try to get rid of it, deny it, whatever we do, but we take it straight into our head. And so our feelings don't have a chance to be allowed and to be felt and to be worked with. In essence, what we're doing is we're separating ourselves from our feeling world so that we're creating this separation from the way we interact with our feelings. And that separation manifests as all sorts of fears, insecurities, not good enough, I have to get there, Because there's the gap within us and that gap, that separation continues to project out often, like I've noticed it project out in my relationships in the past as persecution or blame or even trying to rescue people because I have this gap inside of me. So for me, this being able to be at ease and understand myself and see that my reaction is the result of the separation inside of me and then owning my feelings and allowing them to flow not taking them straight into my head but allowing them to be part of my existence because that's normal right for any living thing the way we evolve the way animals evolve is they have a feeling response to their environment and then they evolve as a result of that feeling response Human beings are probably the exception. We have a feeling response, or should I say reaction, and we cease evolving, many of us, because we don't like the feeling of being uncomfortable. Or more importantly, we haven't been taught what to do with that emotion. And I know that you know a lot about that too, Paul, like that allowing of the emotion and understanding what to do with that and seeing it as as your friend and as a guide. Mm. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, again, absolutely. And I'm, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying. In fact, no, listeners, it's not at the risk of oversimplifying. It is this simple. I'm going to own this statement. I'm going to put it out there. Whether you agree or not is an individual choice. And the choice is the operative word here, Lisa. Choose between fear and love. Now, that's very simplistic on the surface of it. But one of the things I've come to understand um, is that life is a very, very simple game. But boy, do mm. we complicate it. Why? For the reasons you've mentioned, we put our inverted commas problems upstairs in the supercomputer called our mind. We let it reside there rather than actually letting it flow within our heart. I think mm, it was hard. And
0: allowing. Mm, allowing it to unfold and, yeah. you know, and like to be in the process. Yeah, look, I've learned so much from my teenage daughter lately, who's 15. And just, you know, when I feel powerless over what's happening in her life as a result of the social media influence, it's coming back to that, you know what? I don't have to have a solution. I don't have to fix this. I just have to be in the emerging process with her. Mm-hmm. And, and, and practice being comfortable in that because if I take it into my head, my head will go, oh, but you're the mum, you've got to fix this, you've got to do something, you've got to show it. you've got to blah, 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 which is everything that I was taught as a young person and growing up, that's what my culture has taught me. And I actually didn't know that there was another way to do relationships other than to get into my head and figure it out. I actually didn't know there was another way to step into this emerging process, be at one with my feelings and accompany somebody in this process that we're having together, this shared journey called life. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it wrong. It just means that we're in it together, figuring it out, and I have every right to say what makes me feel uncomfortable and what I require, and so does she. So it's not like a free-for-all but it's certainly a way that we learn to understand each other very deeply and have this really beautiful connection, which I think when you're creating emotional safety like that, that really gives you an advantage as, as a parent. But even in a relationship, when you're creating emotional safety, that's what builds harmonious relationships, right? Mm,
1: absolutely. And you know, whatever that dynamic is, I'd like to... To introduce, Lisa, if I may, two crucial words, two crucial words, childlike curiosity. Mm. Is it true to say that as we get older, we lose that? But boy, what an amazing gift. And, that, you know, my heart's warming listening to you about your connections with your 15-year-old and about how she teaches you so much because young people teach us so much if we're open to that, that voyage, discovery. Mm-hmm. But that childlike curiosity, I'm certainly, um, Lisa, on that voyage of, uh, to quote Helen Shapira, uh, I'm walking back to happiness because it was already there anyway. I kind of just lost yeah. It, it. Yeah, yeah um but i'm walking back to happiness in the form of childlike curiosity so i'll sing on a podcast and people say paul don't you think you're making a fool of yourself well that's your judgment not mine because i actually enjoy singing i enjoy this kind of this depth of conversation this vulnerability this connection this intimacy this whole kind of dance that you know we have in life with people and certainly on the world game changers podcast any thoughts around those two words lisa childlike curiosity
0: mm. i love it i love it you know um i sort of have this thought that most people these days really we have a lot of information we know a lot of things and i would sort of maybe propose that Many people understand or they have the knowledge of what they should do to feel better in their life or to have better relationships, and one of them is to try and hold on to this childlike curiosity. Um, You know, it's been said often by a lot of our, you know, more emotionally mature um, speakers and leaders in this world, and I definitely agree that if you can step into that place, it's just so beneficial. I think what happens, though, is when you're in a situation that's really activating your emotional self, like probably some past experiences that you've had are being activated by what's happening to you right now and you're feeling powerless or fearful or anxious or completely insecure, how do you step into the childlike state? And this is why I believe emotion education is so important because We really, as a species, haven't maybe moved a lot of us in a mainstream maybe education has not really included this. How do we deal with the reaction we're having so that we can step into that childlike curiosity? I think that this is like the next stage of human evolution. It's like understanding what do we do with this emotion when it comes up and stops us from doing what we want? I I know when I was in my first relationship, like I knew that something was not right. I knew that I had to be more loving. I knew that I had to step into these different places. But I didn't know how to do that when I was in reaction. I had no idea what to do with all the feeling I had that was actually getting in the way of me making that connection or making that step into who I knew I wanted to be. And And I think that that to me is the difference between the head and the heart because I can have more information, but unless I understand my emotional world, it's more challenging for me to be able to have a different response to any event or situation that activates my unconscious emotional world. So I absolutely think childlike curiosity is like honestly, that is probably one of the things that saves me when my daughter's is sharing stuff to me and my head's going, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do about this? I've got to do something. I would, and then it's like, "Nope, stay curious. Just stay curious. Just ask these questions. Just stay curious. So it definitely saves me. But I had to learn how to deal with my emotional reactions first before I could stay in that state with my daughter.
1: Mm. Mm. Wow. Powerful stuff, isn't it? It's powerful stuff.
0: Mm. It is. And it's like emotional responsibility, right? It's like for me it was learning all of the little manipulations and behaviours that I developed as a child to get my emotional needs met, to be loved and feel accepted, and then to see those behaviours and go they don't serve me. I'm going to meet my own emotional needs and, and own my feelings and understand them and see what, what's running me in this moment because only then can I respond from a place where I can be curious, where I can be in acting from my heart rather than my head because fear is once you're in fear, it's very hard to activate your heart. Like they're completely the opposites, right? And, and once you're in your head and you're in fear, you're not tapping into the power of the heart which is actually the one thing that can transform the situation you're in right now but mm. like there's an alchemy that happens when the power of the heart is released and you're in that courage and yet we've been trained to stay in our heads to try and figure it out and fear and that is like so not where the solution lies
1: mm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, it's like a double quandary isn't it it's like Yeah, the answer is so, and I'm going to use the word seamlessly, effortlessly, naturally in the heart, but we just block it, don't we? No, 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 I've got to defy this with logic. And I love, just on that note, uh, Lisa, I loved actually something you said because I could relate to it so strongly around fixing others. I spent so many years in that space, Mm. so many years in that space without actually realising that was actually about me. That was about me. And and, and and I don't do it. You know, I know we've spoken off air, Lisa, about the great, in my humble opinion, the great Anne Lamotte quote around lighthouses. Not not traveling the oceans and the seas looking for ships and boats to save. They just stand there and shine. And that's a great, great example, isn't it? It is for me personally of Listeners, isn't that, we, as, you know, what we as humans, isn't that what we're here for, to shine brightly? Mm-hmm.
0: And that is a, a, an emotionally powerful stance. And, you know, I keep coming back to this. We can only do that when we understand our emotional worlds and take full responsibility for our emotional self because it's very um, appealing to go out into the ocean because we might feel less than or we might want to be loved or we might feel insecure or we might feel fearful. Until I have, I know myself and I can stand in my power and my heart is activated, it was very hard for me to stand and not go out on the waves. And even now, like I'm human, right? So you have moments, which is like the beauty of being human. Mm. but I see that that those moments continually call me back. They're the moments that call me back to who I really am. They call me back to merging the separation between who I really am and who I'm pretending to be in that moment.
1: Yeah. Brings in there, you know, that that eternal, that time-old question, who am I? Maybe a better question to ask ourselves is, Who am I becoming? Because whoever I think I am today, hopefully I'm not that person tomorrow. You know, there's that constant emergence and that involvement, isn't there? You know, that just that nudging forward, you know, at the risk of putting it on a kind of more uh, linear scale or more kind of human scale. But, you know, we just keep progressing and we keep dancing with the universe and, you know, on the stage of life and you just yeah that vibrancy that emotion that that richness that diversity that we embrace it all and there is no right or wrong and i always use the analogy lisa of the sky we said that if i ever had another child i'd call that child sky
0: Mm, beautiful
1: that clear blue sky because isn't it true listeners that in a sky you know, it will be perceived to be dark at night. But the next day, when the sun's shining or the clouds are there, both will pass. But the ever constant is the sky. It just is there. It's open. And yeah, so get getting a bit philosophical there, Lisa. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. Um, any other thoughts around this fascinating? I mean, you know, we, we could be here for hours and hours and hours Around this topic of emotions, love, fear—the whole kind of polarization between the two, any kind of overriding thoughts. In fact, hold that thought for a moment, if I may. If you I may ask you to do mm-hmm. that, because um, I want to. I want to kind of start to bring. I mean, I feel Lisa that this, this, there's so much rich, deep stuff to fall out of this this first conversation between us. This podcast episode conversation, we've kind of created a foundation, I believe, for a little bit of a mini-series. I don't know how that lands with you.
0: Mm, I definitely think so. Because I I feel that there's a, a really beautiful, rich time on the planet now to really start to own our emotional evolution. And that's like, how do we do that in real life? And I, I believe these discussions are part of that emerging process. I don't have the solutions or the, hey, this is how you do it. But what I do know is that when I get into the emerging process, like you, Paul, we're in this process and things come out and and our our mutual experiences create these opportunities where we are exploring new frontiers. And I, I think it's our capacity as individuals to be able to step into the process and allow ourselves to start to walk out into these new frontiers that may look a little bit scary, but I think that's really what we need to do now when it comes to um, all of us becoming whole humans, not just a part human being whose emotions or feelings are over there and then the rest of me that's over here um, because it's more than our spiritual or our mental, our mindset. It's more than that. It's like all of us is operating to its fullest potential in each moment. And, yeah, I think this is a beautiful opportunity to start really pioneering discussion on how we bring this into our everyday life. Like how do we go to work and do these things? How do we, this one thing, how does that impact our our daily life, just being a human being, you know, in this world, in this 21st century world, which can have its pressures, right?
1: yeah absolutely absolutely so i want to finish off by asking you the one thing lisa but part of that thought for a moment just want to invite you in to share your contact details how people can find out more about you where they can find your book the emotional emotionally powerful mother what's your primary contact what's your main for the show notes
0: if yes, the, the website is iamlisajane.com. That's I A M L I S A J A Y N E.com. I've got a free downloadable mini book there, which actually gives 11 emotion education lessons. And they are like how I came to my understandings, um, which like I've just found them so beneficial to teach people as a really amazing foundation for how the emotional world works from my experiences, from working with people and, you know, just from, just from my observations um, so that's a free downloadable for your listeners and I highly recommend that they go read it because I'd love to keep this discussion going and also for listeners to have their take on it and their questions or their thoughts around it too after reading that would be amazing.
1: Superb. So the big question then, Lisa, um, you, you know, we're, as we go through the mini series, you'll uh, you'll get used to this approach. Um, and it's this. So I always say. Imagine we've just met in, a, say, a hotel reception and we've had this great chat and then we get into the elevator. Now, it takes 30 seconds for the elevator to go from the ground floor to the next level. And when we get to the next level, one of us goes left and one of us goes right. And to the point we'll probably never have ever seen each other. You know, we're, we're ships passing in the night, strangers in the night, to quote Frank Sinatra, uh, or whatever. You. Um, there's my music side coming out. <laughs> um, and then i see say to you in the, in the elevator, Lisa, what a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. But I'll probably never, ever see you again. So in the 30 seconds that it takes this lift to go to the next level, where one of us goes left, one of us goes right, just give me one thing to help sustain me in my world, in my life, because I've been absolutely fascinated by your energy, your insights, your shares, your experience. But what's the one thing, Lisa, you're going to leave me with?
0: I'd love to suggest and highly recommend that you pay attention to your feelings in each moment because if you pay attention and you go, hmm, that gave me a feeling, you're actually pausing the pause between what's happening to you and your reaction is the point of pure potential you have so much power in that moment so it's paying attention because your feelings will tell you so much information and it's just looking and watching and acknowledging and allowing and validating that would be my one thing in a bit of a long sentence
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well The metaphoric lift there, listeners, didn't stop at the next floor. It had to go up to the next level and come back down again. But that's fine. That's
0: fine. How long was it? 30 seconds, 60 seconds maybe? (laughs) But if we're going to do a mini-series, Paul, I'm going to get good at that 30 seconds, I promise. I'll keep (laughs) practising.
1: Yeah, we're never going to be constrained by anything, let alone a a metaphoric lift, Lisa. Um, Certainly (laughs) not around a a topic of, um, you know, emotions and... um, okay lisa thank you so much thank you so thank good.
0: you paul it's been a lovely conversation i've really really enjoyed it and very grateful for you having me on
1: and on that happy note listeners all that remains is to sign off the way i always do and say remember the world's changing how will you respond